Before the show starts, several of our listeners have been curious about the work I do at OnSite. So I wanted to give you a quick glimpse into what I get to be a part of. OnSite's an emotional health retreat center on a beautiful 250-acre ranch just outside of Nashville. We've got some of the best minds in the therapeutic space that come and create a safe space, honestly, for people just to reconnect to who they are and who they're becoming. And if you want to learn more, you can visit OnSiteWorkshops.com or follow us on Instagram and socials at, at @OnSiteWorkshops. The work y'all are doing there is so important, and I feel so grateful that I've gotten to experience it firsthand. I really hope everyone gets to experience this sort of healing because we're all so deserving of it. Thanks, my friend. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show. It definitely made me not believe in coincidences anymore. Yeah. Because you have to understand that we went to a whole nother Waffle House yeah. before that. Um, he shot 32 bullets in 42 seconds mm. and it was a coincidence that none of those hit me or one of them grazed me just to be grazed is a blessing is what mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Cause if my arm was over just another inch, it could have got blown off. Yeah. Coincidences is, is not something that I can believe in anymore. Um, and I think that's got a lot to do with faith. I think I was supposed to be there, um, from December, 28th 1988 Mm. to April 22nd 2018 I think that was those two things were designated to happen hey guys I'm Miles and I'm Ruthie and welcome to the unspoken podcast where we believe that saying the unsaid may be the hardest but one of the most important things we can ever do yes Our authentic self is the best gift that we have to offer this world, but sadly, we live in this culture that tells us that we should hide it. So we would love for you to join us and listen along, and we hope that you might find connection and healing in the courage that no important words go unspoken. Make up fake love, make them all laugh, someone, someone, take off your mask, it's nice to me. Today on the podcast, we have James Shaw Jr. James made headlines and became a national hero after bravely disarming a gunman at the Antioch, Tennessee Waffle House. Determined to turn the tragic course of events into a stepping stone, James is committed to using his voice and personal experience to make a major impact in his community. The 29-year-old native to Nashville, now known as the Waffle House Hero, is currently hosting national meetings and galvanizing global thought leaders to share his community and humanitarian plan to systemically address policy change and increase efforts to make gun control, gun violence, mental illness, and the impact of post-traumatic stress disorder a national priority. James is currently making appearances and speaking at schools, universities, corporations, conferences on the above issues and recently announced his foundation, the James Shaw Jr. Foundation. I'm so excited for you guys to get an opportunity to meet James. He's one of the most inspiring people I've had the opportunity to meet in the last couple of years. I love what this guy's doing. Huge heart, big voice clearly a hero, but it's not so much uh, what he did. It's what he's doing with what he did. That's so inspiring. And I know you're going to be inspired as inspired as we are with this conversation. So we welcome James Shaw Jr.
Welcome James Shaw in the house. Hey, everybody. Hey, we're so grateful you're here. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Thank you for coming. Thank you for letting me come. Oh, my goodness. This feels like really such a privilege to get to sit across from you and learn from you. And it's really a treat. Thank you. No problem. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I've gotten to know you over the last year. Um, not not real well, but we spent a little time together. And the first thing that got my attention was how busy you actually are. And I mean, it's it's a really neat thing because you're doing great things with mm-hmm. uh, a, an unfortunate circumstance, and you've really turned it into something beautiful. But just the fact that you took time to come over, and I, I know you get tons of ask for media inquiries and interviews, and the fact that you came to share with our audience is a big deal. And so we're yeah. grateful for that. Well, thank you for having me. And yeah, I have to kind of sort through different media requests and different people. This is my first podcast that I'm doing, and uh, probably be first of many now. So. No better way but to bring it in with, with the team. Thank you. Such an <laughs> honor. Good gracious. Well, a lot of people know you based on something that happened, uh, you know, in April of last year. You've since, I'm sure, taken on a lot of names or nicknames, Waffle House Hero to everything. But let's just start with taking us back to 325 a.m., April 22nd, 2018. Okay. So that day... <laughs> I was actually off of work, and I was very happy I had three days off of work. My friend, Brennan, asked me to come out to his fraternity's party at a lounge in Antioch. Party got out. Me and Brennan, well, Brennan said he wanted to get something to eat. We went to the Waffle House off of Bell Road. The Waffle House off of Bell Road was packed, and so we decided to go to the Waffle House actually closer to his house off of Murfreesboro Road. Um, that Waffle House is brand new. Hadn't even been there a year yet. So we got to that Waffle House. It wasn't too many people there. We could tell by, you know, the cars that were parked outside. Um, I drove, and Brennan drove his car too, so we were in separate vehicles. And when we got to the Waffle House, we actually saw the shooter um, in his car. Um, Brennan made uh, slight eye contact with him first. Then I made eye contact with him first, and we looked at each other for a little bit longer, I think, than, than Brennan and he did. Then I started to go into the door um, of the Waffle House. Um, I sat down at the stools at the countertop. I was in seat one. We had a seat in between us. You know, man law. We <laughs> can't sit too close. Got it, um, check. Brennan was in seat three. Um, I put my phone on top of the countertop, and uh, we started talking immediately about the cook and how he was washing the dishes, and he was stacking the dishes really high on the shelving. Uh, we were saying how the, the dishes were going to fall off and crash to the ground. No later than that, a guy actually walked out. Um, one of the cooks actually walked out and said he's going to go on his lunch break and smoke a cigarette. After he pretty much walked out, we heard what we now know are gunshots. Um, but we thought they were plates crashing to the floor. Mm-hmm. So once we start to turn over my left shoulder, I see a guy in my peripheral kind of falling to the ground. And then it seems like just a bunch of silver glitter as the windows burst open. Um, You can see the Waffle House employees and everybody kind of scatter and disperse behind the, the, the cook and, and, and the Island. And you can see people trying to take cover. My first reaction was to move to the right near the bathroom door. So I jumped. I think I took one step, jumped, slid on my shoulder and stood up and looked, and I saw the shooter 
coming through the door, my first instinct was to jump over um, the island and the bench that sits right there. Um, if you know the layout of a Waffle House, after you jump over that, then you're pretty much in the back, the back room um, or the back of the Waffle House. And I was assuming there's an exit back there. I'm pretty sure it's an exit back there. But some told me to not do that. So I walked behind the the bathroom door. And after I walked behind the bathroom door, I was still looking out. The shooter then came back my way, and he started shooting back towards me and the people that ran towards the bathroom. At this point, I must have been grazed at this point because I think he shot three bullets. I must have been hit by, uh, grazed by one. To be honest with you, I think I was hit by all three bullets, but I think this is when God started to step in because after I was grazed, is when I became relaxed. And it's not just relaxed as in ready to go to sleep. Like it's relaxed as in the best massage you've ever had. And then you take the best shower you've ever had. And then you get the best meal you ever had. And then you just lay down and you're not even like you're trying to go to sleep. It's just peace. Peace. It was quiet. And I just remember putting my arms down to my side. And I heard the voice say, do it, do it now. And I looked out the window and his back was to me. And I ran through the window as fast as I could. And uh, I tackled him and I got uh, control of the gun. And then when I got control of the gun, I tossed it as far as I could. And it flew over the actual island where the cook was and it hit the cook's leg. And then I removed him and myself outside the Waffle House and we made kind of like a Y shape, and uh, he kind of trotted off. Um, he was bleeding from his feet. I actually fell, scraped up my elbow. This was, I think, the scariest thing for me is when I thought I was going to die after I fell. I didn't know if he had another gun um, on him or not. Um, now, mind you, he was naked, and he only had a waist, waist-high jacket, but he could have had a small handgun in there, but I didn't know. Luckily, he didn't, but... Um, he definitely had more magazines in his jacket. Later on, we found that out. And uh, pretty much after that, I tried to leave, um, but I didn't have my phone. It was still on the countertop. So I couldn't call 911. So I ran um, to the easeway of the Waffle House. I managed to stop two cars and got them to call 911. Backed my truck up, went back in. Mind you, I see all the the carnage and dead bodies wow. and all the blood and everything, broken glass. But I had to put that in the back of my head. And I walked back through the door, and I'm looking for BJ now. And after I walked back through the door, somebody says, is this him over here? Is this him over here? And it was actually not him. It was another uh, one of the victims that, that, that was shot fatally. Mm-hmm. Um, then I go back to the bathroom, and I say, BJ, BJ, where you at? He finally comes out, and he's kind of pale, white scared, of course, and uh, I'm telling him to come on, and he tells me uh, he doesn't have his keys to his car. It kind of shook me a little bit because he didn't understand that how to handle the situation. I could see he was scared, like really, really scared, and the people were really scared because they were just sitting down. You would think it would be a lot of screaming or you'd think it would be a lot of something, crying or anything. It was crying, but it was 
deathly quiet wow. in there. Mm. So I had to tell people to move and leave. And the cook was kind of trying to tell people to, you know, stay down, stay in the building. And I was told him, no, that's not what happened if he comes back. So the only reason I actually went back was to go get BJ. And BJ actually found my phone and we called 911. And um, that's kind of how that, that scenario ended and the ambulance finally came. I had superficial wounds. It was a couple women um, that sustained a lot more um, heavy and definitely life-threatening injuries than I did. And uh, they've went through multiple, multiple surgeries and they're in physical therapy right now. Um, don't really like to talk too much about, about them because they don't really want their, their private information out. Mm -hmm. So, but happy that, you know, unfortunately happy I could, I could walk away from the situation, but I'm happy I could walk away from the situation. Wow. James. This morning I spent some time reading and learning about you and listening to some interviews. And I literally like spent an hour in my bed just crying. Like I was overwhelmed and I was touched and I was so heavy and so sad for the victims and so sad that this is such a regular occurrence that is happening in our country. And I was watching an interview where the owner of Waffle House was speaking at one of the victim's funerals and she was the young lady who made it to the hospital and they were talking about how in her last words she was singing gospel songs and the last thing they heard her say was singing Jesus loves me and I just think about that peace that you spoke about and what it sounds like this precious beautiful girl you know was experiencing and those last moments I just I was overwhelmed I'm so sorry that you had to experience that I'm so sorry those families have had such a massive loss when it's just unnecessary. It's crazy. I love the work that you're doing around gun control. Like it's just, it's such a massive issue. It's such a scary, hard thing that's happening all the time in our country. This, this young man's guns were taken away from him and then they were given back to him from his father. Um, just Ian, I would love to hear your thoughts on all of that. Like what a crazy, crazy thing. Uh, so the shooter is from Morris, Illinois, Morristown, Illinois. And his father, Jeffrey, gave him his guns back after I think the CIA listed him as a person of interest after he tried to jump over the fence and have a meeting with our president. The FBI told Jeffrey that he was not supposed to give the guns back um, formally. They didn't just say it over the phone. They told him formally. My biggest thing with Jeffrey is I'm a father. And in times, there's times where you have to be a father. There's just no way around it. To me, Jeffrey was never a father to his son. Mm. He never gave him the time, which is the most important thing. With time, there's love or love, there's time. And he never gave him that. Instead of that, he ostracized him out to Nashville. 
when he moved down here. Um, mind you, they're pretty wealthy. Most of the cranes down here in Nashville is actually from Jeffrey's crane company business. And the same way he kind of ostracized his son from the family and disconnected him and, and gave him guns to turn to instead of giving him his ear and his heart, I feel is the same way he's doing the situation. He wants it far away from him when he is pretty much a person in that same gold truck, Silverado. He pretty much handed him the, the guns that night and loaded it for him, if you ask me. Yeah. So I have a big, big, big problem with Jeffrey. Yeah. Is he um, being held accountable? There's some suits against him right now for monetary reasons. And my suit, whenever I file it, if I file it, won't be for monetary reasons. It'll be for responsibility of this. And you've had ample amount of time to come out and say that what you did was wrong and try to help these families. I don't really care who your advisors are, who your lawyers are to tell you not to help in this situation is ridiculous to me. Yeah, I understand. For you to just kind of stand behind the bush and just stand there and wait for this kind of to blow over. It's never going to blow over for four of those families. That's right. Hmm. That's right. When I was reading your words, and I mean, from the get-go, following along with this story, you always, like, say their names. These these kids aren't here anymore, and, we, and they can't speak for themselves anymore. Right. And the way that you've constantly wanted to take the spotlight off yourself you're like I wanted to live I want I want to be here I want to raise my daughter but it was still it was so brave and it was so incredible what you've done like you saved all these people's lives and I mean I think about like even in the airport they're like put the gas mask on yourself or save yourself first because then you can actually save others and you did that and I love even hearing about that peace that came over you like I got the chills all over because I know that space that you're speaking of. I would love to hear you talk a little bit about that and what faith has been for you, like on the other side of this and in this whirlwind that you've been brought into that you never asked for. You have been, the spotlight has shone on you in such a ginormous way. I can't imagine how overwhelming, how it would feel crazy making a little bit, like to go from like being able to live your life in a normal way to having this massive national spotlight. Movie light almost. Totally. 100%. I'd love to hear what that's been like for you and what how has faith played into that for you? Um, so I was raised in a Baptist church here in Nashville, Jefferson Street Missionary Baptist Church from childhood to now i've went to jefferson street 30 years my granny went there my grandfather actually helped build the church also uh i was never over religious or you know i would never tell people don't do that that's not god's way or don't do this don't do that that's not that's not really me i'm kind of a more relaxed humble laid-back kind of guy i don't try to let too much stuff get under my skin so after the incident, I actually went to church probably, I probably left the hospital about 6.30. The mayor called me before anybody knew who I was. He already knew who I was because the 24-hour lock key guy that was outside in the 
parking lot. He saw the whole thing from the outside. He saw me fight him. Wow. And he was telling, he was like, no, it was only one guy that, that did it. So from his kind of description of who I was, and of course they knew who I was because I had to give a, a what happened to the police. Yeah. Um, um, they had my name and he looked me up. He told me where I went to high school. Kind of had a, a a rough resume of me over my life. Um, after that, then a Tennessean called me. He said all he did was kind of Google James Shaw, and then he just looked at the pictures, and he was like, this has to be him right here. Mm-hmm. So eventually he called me, and I had my number on. I'll tell you this now, and then I'll get back to it. I had my number on Facebook and Instagram. I had my own construction company or electrical company, hanging TVs, wiring houses, that type of deal. So about 9.30 is where it started to go crazy because it yeah. went from a patron wrestled the gun away from him to James Shaw Jr. wrestled the gun away from him. After that, they had a picture of me that I took in the hospital, and I actually sent it to my fraternal brothers first, and they didn't know what was going on. None of them knew what was going on because yeah. I sent it to them. It was about probably 4 o'clock. Mm. Um, four or five o'clock, and they didn't know what was going on. The story hadn't broke yet. Right. And a couple of them were like, what are you doing? And then about 9.30, 10.30, they all saw the pictures, and it was just nonstop. Yeah. So my phone probably went from maybe two text messages, unread text messages, to 500. Wow. 600. Good gracious. By the end of the day, I was about at 800. Wow. Unread text messages. Mm. I had calls. I was just inundated with yeah. with calls, voicemails. I didn't have any room for voicemails. My Instagram went crazy. My Facebook went crazy. I had to reactivate my Twitter. It, it was going crazy. CNN called my auntie to try to get my information. Wow. CNN called. I, I forget. I think it was, it was somebody I went to elementary school with, and, and he had a picture of me. And they used that picture. They, hey, do you have any more con- contact information for James Shaw? And it was, it was just really just wild, eye opening. And <laughs> from that moment on, it's been a learning curve. Yeah. Um, so now in Nashville and in other places, I'm still recognized. I went to Atlanta. I had to get a, a part for my Mustang, and I told the lady who I was. And she was she was like, we we knew all about that story. So she gave me a discount on the part I needed for my Mustang. Wow. And um, but here in Nashville, um, when I go out, I kinda put a hat on and yeah. kind of walk with my head down. And if I have to go somewhere, um, I go. I try to go to the Walmart or Kroger either early in the morning or late at night. Mm-hmm. So I can kinda avoid the the crowd. I don't know if it's more so avoid the crowd than it is. I'm just not comfortable because I'm not a. Uh, I don't look at myself as celebrity. I don't look at myself as, you know, anything just really special. But I do look at the situation special after having so much time to, you know, process it and and look at the situation and think about it in different aspects. Um, it's definitely a special situation. It definitely made me not believe in coincidences anymore. Yeah. Because you have to understand that we went to a whole nother Waffle House. Before that, um, he shot 32 bullets in 42 seconds. Mm. And it was a coincidence that none of those hit me or one of them grazed me. Just to be grazed is a blessing is what I think. Because if my arm was over just 
another inch, it could have got blown off. Yeah. Coincidences is is not something that I can believe in anymore. Um, and I think that's got a lot to do with faith. I think I was supposed to be there um, from December 28th, 1988 mm. to April 22nd, 2018. I think that was those two things were designated to happen. The divine calling. Yeah. <clears throat> That's I think right. that's that was my my call, hmm. um, and that's what I was supposed to do. I don't I don't think that's the only thing I'm supposed to do, but that's definitely definitely my way of saying, "Hey, world, this is James Shaw." I guess. Yeah. Now, do you think uh, in that moment? And by the way, the and that's why I, honestly I just wanted to listen to this story because I, the detail in which you shared it, mm-hmm. having walked beside a lot of uh, trauma survivors, people who were at mass tragedy, one of two things typically happens. Either you don't remember anything for quite some time, or like in your case, sometimes you remember everything, like just time stops and you can remember the smell and the sound and all of it. What happened with you? And did, did you always have that much detail or did it start to come back slowly? Mine was fragmented at the beginning. So the day after happened Saturday night into Sunday morning. So Sunday, I really couldn't tell you everything, but now I can tell you what some of the victims had on. I can tell you BJ had on white pants and a white shirt. I can tell you when the time stopped, what it smelled like. I can kind of tell you different people's shoes that they had on. Um, Joe Perez, he had on Air Max 270s, white and black with a pink back. Um, At the first Waffle House, it was an accident. A car accident, and it was another reason why we left. This girl had just got her a brand new 2018 Nissan Sentra black. And mm. I remember she got in a car accident. Wow. Um, and we left. And I don't think it was it was just a mind defender bender, but it was brand new. And she was she was pretty she was pretty mad about it. But it's just small stuff like that wow. that that makes me really 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 remember even even remembering that the cook went outside to. For 15 minutes, I'll be back in 15 minutes. I'm about to go smoke. But I don't try to go too in-depth with it um, when I'm telling the story because I kind of, sure to go really, really, really in-depth to tell people, you know, what I was wearing and what other people was wearing and what, you know, what I was thinking and what else was going on. I kind of have to close my eyes and, and kind of tell the story. Mm. So Yeah. And have you, had you ever put yourself in a scenario? I think a lot of people probably do now. It's unfortunate that we even have to think like this, but there, I do. When I go into any kind of public uh, setting, uh, movie theater, anything, I immediately identify the exits and think about what if, you know, what would I do if? Mm-hmm. Had you ever played that out in your head? Like if I were ever in a situation, what would I do? Um. So before the situation, I'm a big movie movie guy. I like a lot of action movies. So I kind of watched Taken. He didn't like to sit with his back to the door. I didn't like to sit with my back to the door, but Brennan sat down first when we got into the Waffle House. If it was my choice, I probably would have sat in a booth where I could have had my back or my face facing the door. But I don't think I've ever put my actual mindset into thinking about a scenario as a mass shooting. But we've asked, you know, just guys just having, you know, guy talk as what would you do if this happened or if this happened? Like on The Walking Dead, there's a scene where Rick and the group have to, to you know, fight or they're going to be working for somebody. Well, for me, when somebody's trying to do something at the start, 
you have to take it then at the start. You can't wait to overtime and let them beat you down and beat you down and beat you down. You have to, because they don't know what you have, you know, right at the start. They're kind of gauging you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think that's pretty much my same mentality that happened in that situation. Mm -hmm. I had about all I could take, really. And to be honest with you, people ask me what was going through my head. I was kind of pissed off. Yeah. Yeah. I think all of us would like to think we would react or act like that, but uh, something tells me you were divinely appointed for that moment too. And it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily because of what you did in that moment. It's what you've done every day since. That's right. You have not looked at this tragedy or adversity as something, hey, I was lucky to survive and I'm glad I did what I did and I put my head down and go back to work. You have put your head down and gone back to work, but you've gone back to work every day for Torin Sanderlin and Joe Perez and Aquila De Silvia and the Ebony Groves. Mm-hmm. There are victims in every shooting, every mass shooting. There are survivors in every mass shooting. But you don't hear many people that survived a mass shooting that have gone on in honor of the people that were lost and tried to take care of their family every day since. Mm-hmm. That is special. I think it's divine. Mm-hmm. And when I say those names, what do they, what do they mean to you? Um, they're just kids. I'm the oldest person out of the whole situation mm. besides the cooks. I'm older than the shooter. I'm older than my best friend, BJ. I'm older than everybody that was shot. Yeah. A lot of people look at me as a kid or a young man. And so I know if I'm looked at as a young man, I can only imagine what a 22-year-old girl is looked at or asked. And um, it's just it was just senseless that it had to has to come to that for people to look at other people as a person, a human being, and really pay attention to the situation and bring some light to the situation of you know gun violence and gun problems and gun laws and what we should do about them. Um, but the reason that I I pay so much homage to them is. Say nobody dies in this situation and I just take the gun from the shooter. I don't think it gets anywhere close to the national or international actually press that it went to. I don't really think it does. So it's not that I'm just paying homage to them. I mean, their lives are unfortunately lost and their legacies are unfortunately done. Um, But that doesn't mean that it has to stop there. I feel like if I move in the right way, and I can accomplish the things that I think that need to be accomplished. I can help not only them, but their families also um, move their legacies in, in the right way and, and help them grow in their afterlife as much as possible. Hey, y'all. We want to take a quick break from the conversation to tell you about the sponsor of this week's episode of the Unspoken Podcast, our friends at Nisolo. Yes, Nasolo is a sustainable brand committed to delivering handcrafted, ethically made shoes and accessories designed with comfort and functionality at the core without the traditional retail markup. I love how intentional this brand is. They are working to help combat climate change, and for every pair of Nasolo shoes sold, a contribution is made to help protect forests in the Amazon rainforest. Nasolo produces most of their designs in their own sustainable factory in Peru, and to offset their factory carbon emissions, they've partnered with the nonprofit Ecosphere to implement an insetting program. 
The program focuses on keeping threatened Amazon forests alive and protected while also creating sustainable livelihoods for its indigenous communities. Their work is so cool and not a lot of social impact companies have the results that they do. That's why I'm so impressed with them and I love their shoes, by the way. But in 2018 alone, the Solo customers helped save more than 54,000 trees from being uprooted from the Peruvian Amazon. That's the size of like 62 baseball fields. Holy hell. <laughs> it's unreal. And one of the things I love about their branding is that the producers receive at a minimum beyond fair trade wages, healthcare, financial literacy trainings, and a safe working environment. We're so grateful to be partnering up with Nasolo in this way. We love what they're about and have been floored by their support of Unspoken. And Miles and I are both huge fans and wear their shoes all the time. I brought you to the store for the first time yes, years did. ago when we first became friends. Yeah, I've been a fan ever since. So it's so fun to partner with these guys and just be a part of the impact that they're making. So Nasolo is partnering with us this season to offer Unspoken podcast listeners 25% off their first purchase. So go to nasolo.com and enter code UNSPOKEN at checkout to get 25% off your order of men's and women's ethically made shoes and accessories. That's N-I-S-O-L-O dot com and use Unspoken for 25% off your first purchase. All right, you guys, back to the conversation. You honored them in such a beautiful way and you set up a GoFundMe to cover all of, I mean, you were just instantly thinking about these families. Yeah, that was, that was the day after. That was on Sunday, Stony River, sitting at the table with my family and wow i was so tired i'm sure you were you'd been up all night you had gone through one of the most traumatic experiences and you instantly jumped in and started thinking of ways to love and serve these families that experienced the greatest loss i honestly like i can't imagine i don't know that there's a greater loss on this earth than a parent losing a child like i think about those parents mm. my heart just breaks absolutely well, breaks and see that's why I, you know i think me and adrian came up with adrian's my fraternal brother and i said we should set up like a gofundme but i didn't have it on my phone i never did a gofundme i never even gave to a gofundme but i thought about it and i instantly did i'm kind of a spontaneous person if you can't tell that's <laughs> kind of what i do um and so adrian downloaded on my phone i typed something up really really quickly I just said 15,000 because I said 15,000. There's no rhyme or reason why I said 15,000. I just said 15,000. I said, uh, we'll give, I don't know how much GoFundMe was going to take out of it. Whatever they give us, we'll give it all to, you know, the families. Then I got shipped out to California, did the Ellen show and everything else. And it just kind of was going, I think, by the third day, it was at 37000 I was thinking, what in the world? So a couple different entertainers called me, uh, Trader Truth, T.I. They called me and they told me, you know, they've paid for funerals before. Funerals, you know, only cost like $10,000. Um, and you've got to think about yourself. you got to think about your child. And somebody else, Ali Yashir, I'm a reporter in um, Maryland, he actually started a GoFundMe for me. Um, so when I saw that GoFundMe for me, I mean, even before that, I think me and BJ were thinking we just just give it all away. 
And that's what we we pretty much did. We raised two hundred and forty one thousand eight hundred and twenty six dollars. Dear God, quarter million, um, in a month. And we gave the families of the deceased victims. We gave them thirty thousand apiece. And the two ladies that were shot multiple times, we gave them forty thousand apiece. We gave one other lady. She fell in glass, but she didn't really, she didn't really have you know any real physical wounds you know she has some mental wounds of course we gave her 2500 then if you were just a patron in the waffle house we gave you like 1500 and we kept 15000 um bj forgot his he gave his to another actual charity his 1500 and we just kept 15000 cuz we plan on doing a gala this year for the 1 year anniversary of the situation um and where we want to raise money for public health and mental health awareness yeah. And what we want to do is um, we want to open up a, a psychiatry clinic or a clinic somewhere in Nashville, but I don't have all the answers to all this. All I know is, you know, I can see the goal, but mm-hmm. I can't write out everything. So the other day I actually put on my my Instagram, I'm looking for somebody to come up with a business plan because I don't know how to make the money move in the right avenues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would love to connect you with somebody. I think would be really helpful. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Truly. you. Thank you. I really do. I have someone I think would be really, really helpful. Thank you. I would love to know how um, with this time, I mean, and it'll be an ongoing thing, but how have you tried to take care of yourself mentally and emotionally, like with dealing with such a massive trauma? Um, how have you tried to care for yourself? Um, it's been pretty difficult. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of my father, of course, in me because he was in my life my whole life. My parents are together. So my father's pretty tough and he's older. An older man really don't show too much emotion. I don't try to show too much emotion, uh, except for that, you know, one time when I saw my daughter after the whole situation, I couldn't hold back after that. But um, I don't try to show too much emotion. It's just I could always, you know, figure it out. Well, this was something I couldn't figure out. Yeah. So, uh, so been a lot of veterans that I've talked to, and you know, police. Contrary to belief, most police, almost out of like twenty police I've asked, most police have never been in a shootout, mm. and they definitely haven't been in close quarters. Like I was, yeah. so it's it's kind of hard. It was kind of hard. A lot of veterans was talking to me that they were trying to keep it in and the problems they they had. But uh, and this is not saying that all veterans do do this. It just was, was a couple that that I that I was speaking to that they self medicated with alcohol. Luckily, I don't I don't drink, so it wasn't it wasn't very hard for me. But I started to go to therapy. Then when I thought I was good, I thought I, you know, could only do a couple months, but I think it um, kind of crept back in there. So every day, still to this day, I have flashbacks to the situation. Yeah. Every day to this day, when I go in my house, I kind of clear each room that I walk in and just make sure nothing's in there. And I still see things. I see the shape of the shooter sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I just see stuff out the corner of my eye, look like it's falling or a, a, a shadow that doesn't look right. I haven't really never had an anxiety attack 
before. I've never had an anxiety attack, but I had to go back to get my truck because it was still there at the scene for evidence. And uh, I went back to go get my truck, and I just remember my heart just pounding, 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 pounding. Yeah. So I called my psychiatrist, and uh, she was like, it's, it's a little bit too early for you to be back there. And uh, I guess that was my, that wasn't my one and only. My, I think I had another one. I actually seen a gold, a gold Silverado. I was just driving down the interstate, and he was driving down the interstate, and I saw it, and I kind of, I kind of panicked a little bit. But um, my psychiatrist gave me different coping mechanisms and different ways to, to try to, try to get past it. Um, she said you'll never be um, back at a one. And what I know now is that I was definitely taking life for granted um, before the situation. There could be a shooting at any point in time. And that crosses my mind everywhere I go. So I remember when I was in Miami, I was on Ocean Drive walking down the strip with my friends. I was thinking that if somebody just had a machine gun, they could just shoot down the street. Mm-hmm. And then I have to pop back in my head. I'm thinking, how many people really think about that? Or when I was the Grand Marshal at uh, in the Christmas parade, I was thinking, if somebody starts shooting, we're just in the middle of the street right here. I don't mm-hmm. really have a way out, you know. Mm. So um, those are all kind of signs of, you know, PTSD. Yes. And, it, and doing the situation I went through, it's kind of <laughs> impossible not to have PTSD after that kind of situation. Mm. So I just try to... I don't try to take it with a grain of salt. I just try to make the best out of it. I try to smile through most of it. Nobody knows what you're going through. But I'd rather you see a smile on my face than you see me hurting or anything like that. I would piggyback that with I hope that you have relationships with people that you're close enough where they you don't feel like you have to smile and you can cry if you need to cry and you can wail if you need to wail and I mean it's so loving to yourself to give that freedom it's such a beautiful thing that what you're offering the world but I hope that you have safe people that you don't feel like you have to smile for that you can be devastated and feel brokenhearted and feel the weight of what you've experienced and what you're carrying with you in this world because you're so deserving of having people to walk alongside of you that can carry that with you. Like you don't have to carry that alone. It was, it's awkward because people, no matter how close they are to you, they truly don't know. Uh, like my sister, we was, we were watching something and it was a, a gunfight and she was like, wow, can you imagine going through that? And I looked at her, I was like, yeah, I can. And then she snapped back. She's like, oh, James, I'm sorry. I forgot. So it's just little stuff. Um, it was, I watched The Purge the other day, and my friend, she said, man, he just snatched that gun from him. I was like, yeah, it's not that way in real life. And then she turned, she was like, oh, I forgot. So it's not it's not that you don't want to share that way with people. It's just they don't know that how it's affecting you and how it's always going to kind of stay with you um, no matter what. It's certainly counterintuitive, uh, and that's you're describing. You mentioned it earlier when we were joking about men sitting a stool apart. Uh, man, that's typically been a message that I received that we all received is you know real men don't cry. And I think uh, for our parents' generation, it honestly served them well, and I res- I do respect it too. And then I think 
we've learned a lot since then and it's evolved in a way that it is admirable. And, and I've got buddies too that are combat military and they're trained to regulate emotion and not bring it into certain technical environments because you, you have to, or you mm-hmm. get, you could get killed. But what we are learning is on the back end of something like that, it's not just okay. It's kind of crucial to the process. It yeah. sounds like you're slowly starting to warm up to that by having just awesome therapeutic support around you. And when we spent time together, one of the things I admire is how curious you are. Cause you know, I work in the, the trauma space and, and I just assumed, I didn't know what our conversations would be about. We spent a day out at, out at onsite with you, know, you just ask so many questions. You're just a student chasing knowledge. You're mm-hmm. like, tell me about this. Tell me about this center. Tell me about PTSD. Tell me about what you know. And, and what you've already learned um, tells me you're committed to healing. But I too want to echo Ruthie, but I'm saying it from man, man to man. It's just um, real men do cry. I've learned mm-hmm. that. And, uh, and, and you certainly deserve those tears if, and when, they, they come. It's a natural part of the healing and grief process from what you've been through. And I think you can carry both. You know, we can honor the legacy of men that have taught us to be tough emotionally and physically, and that we can have soft skills too. But for a lot of trauma survivors, they need a message like that from you that, Hey, I'm, I'm doing my work. One of my favorite posts you did is you had a shirt on that said, I'm in therapy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. That was from my friend. She's a, she was adopted and she says that most kids that go through the adoption process have some kind of mental illness type of type of problem and she came out with these I'm in therapy t-shirts and I told her you really need to give me one because I'm really in therapy <laughs> um, and I yeah I don't really that's another thing I really you know if I tell you in depth what I really saw that night it'll you live with that and yeah I live with that every day what yeah. like yeah the stuff I see. So, um, and you, you, your instincts are right. You need to guard whatever parts of that story don't feel organically natural for you to disclose. It's not appropriate to disclose it all at once. And that's not why we're here. It's just whatever you feel like sharing at the time, there will be time and space for you to do that on your therapeutic place. And then, and there may be time. I'm sure people are already throwing book deals at you and everything. You got time for that. Uh, the most important thing is giving you the gift of healing you because you are set up for a pretty incredible journey going forward with what you're going to do and who you're going to touch. And the first time I met you, you were kind enough to come to our foundation event and speak. And one of my favorite things that you said during that talk is hurt people, hurt people. Mm -hmm. And that was what I think the Tennessee quoted the next day. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's so, it's so true. Uh, but so many of us that, um, come from adversity or difficult circumstances and then we move into the helping space i'm one of them that i've spent a career trying to help people get on the path that there have been times i've lost myself in the process because i was just so hard charging i too feel like i'm not same circumstances i certainly didn't go through what you went through nothing even close but i feel divinely called uh, to be able to handle a lot of people's pain and be a voice for people dealing with mental health But I, I'm, I'm, I'm only as good as the ability to put the microscope down and hold the mirror up every now and then to make sure I stay in the game. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, one of uh, uh, David Banner, Trader Truth, they told me, um, you know, they've helped a lot of people. And he said, you got to do something for yourself. You got to disconnect from it. Because people are going to keep, I don't know if the right word is using you, but people are going to keep asking you yeah. or requesting you for things. Mm-hmm. And eventually, if you don't get burnt out, you're going to start resenting them and you're going to lash out at somebody. And they're not going to be really the person that did it. It's just 
you had to just disconnect from it and take a trip somewhere or do whatever is fun for you. So that's what I did for the tail end of last year. Um, it still didn't seem like it to me because I went to, still went to New York twice and Atlanta twice. But it was definitely a lot easier for me to for me to do that. But um, something that I really like to do is, like this morning I went to a, a middle school, pre-K, pre-K through fourth grade. This morning I talked to the kids, and it's crazy that they knew who I was when I walked in, and they were, are you the Waffle House guy? And <laughs> they were just turning around, and they just dropping their mouths, and they was waving, I would wave back, and then they would turn around real quick, <laughs> and they would – Look, so um, that's definitely something that I like to do is just inspire and and try to, you know, uh, show kids, uh, I don't want to say the right way, but just try to inspire because I wasn't a great, great kid. I wasn't bad, but I wasn't a great kid. You know, I was I straddled that line (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) I know that you were a great kid. You might have gotten into some trouble, but your heart is Yeah, nothing heavy, no heavy trouble. I mean, (laughs) it's just so evident how good your heart is like it is just it's so good and I want to I loved um at the on-site foundation when you said that hurt people hurt people I had read this Richard Rohr quote when he was talking about transformed people transform people and it's so beautiful that you're on this healing journey and that you're committed to doing counseling and therapy because that self-love that work that you're doing on yourself those people that do that wholehearted really connecting to themselves those are the people that go out in the world and can like transform it on the most epic scale and I mean even hearing you talk about going to these schools I have nine nieces and nephews and I love the idea that they can look up to you like you are the kind of man that I would if I had children would want my child to look up to like who you are and your beautiful heart and the work you're doing in this world it's It's not missed on me, and I'm just so grateful um, for who you are. I want to also pay that with saying, like, not just because of what you do, but who you are. Who you are is so good, and it's pure. And, yeah, it's a real honor to know you. (laughs) I'm really grateful. Really grateful. Yeah, I'm excited about what's to come because I know you've you've definitely picked up the advocate torch and and mm-hmm. uh, with mental health and gun regulation and and I know we talked we talked politics a couple of times. One of the things that makes you unique is you can talk about the deep, hurtful, hard stuff, mm-hmm. but you also make this an easy thing to talk about. It's not most people don't talk about it. They wouldn't know what to say to somebody like you. When you walked in the door, we were just we were laughing. I mean, you you can. And obviously, loss and pain is 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 nothing. There's nothing funny about it. But the healing process has to have both sadness and humor. Yeah. Or else, if we just take our tales too serious, and nobody buy in. But you have this interesting way of bringing in a lighthearted, but yet honoring the depth of what's happened to you mm-hmm. and the people. Earlier, you were telling the story about your buddy BJ and something you and him talk about when you are out at. You remember that part. Uh, <laughs> for restaurants. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I tell BJ he has to, he has to pay for my food from now on, or whenever <laughs> I want, because I saved his life. But, uh, BJ, um, me and BJ were laughing in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, mm. five minutes after the five ten minutes after the shooting. Wow! But that's just my, I guess my coping mechanism, yeah. Yeah, as they sure. say. Absolutely. But I rather laugh about it 
or I'd rather turn something bad into something good. I try to at least. Mm -hmm. Um, There's really no way to really turn this into nothing good because it's still four families that's, you know, missing their kids. But I can only do my part and try to do it as best as I think it it can be Mm because I can only see what I think I'm being directed towards. Yeah. So um, I try to do it as best as I can with a smile on my face. You you said there was one thing that is pretty quick to bring tears to you, or maybe the only thing. Uh, and I do. I got two two last questions, and you may have have some too. But I'll ask I'll ask the first one. There is James Shaw we now, which is now this like it or not celebrity um, hero, um, voice of these things that comes with a lot of responsibility. But also know there was this really. Uh, James Shaw Jr. before all that, who was an entrepreneur, an electrician, and a father. And I just, those sometimes can be hard. I've worked with a lot of people with public professions, and it's hard sometimes to separate um, who who we are, our character and in, in, in God's eyes, and who the world perceives us to be, and the responsibility and the weight of coming with having a public profile. So I just wanted to hear you speak into who, you know, without all the, the fanfare and, and the uh, press, t- who's James Shaw Jr. on a normal day? Uh, James Shaw Jr. on a normal day is an electrician, uh, an engineer. Most importantly, um, I'm Brooklyn Michelle Page Shaw's father. <laughs> she's um, four? Yeah, she's four. <laughs> um, I'm her father. I'm a son to Karen and James Shaw. I'm a brother to Brittany and Brene Shaw. Um, I think I'm a pretty decent and good friend. Um, I've never really had, I don't really have breakups with friendships. Like people just move away. But like I said, I had almost around about 800 text messages um, from people that wanted to check on me. And then once I looked at my Instagram, it was literally, I've never seen like an Instagram on my timeline where it was just one picture and it was just me. Like I could scroll down and it would just be me, 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 me. And I was like, wow, that's, that's mind blown. I didn't know that many people, you know, really, really cared or really, you know, wanted to, um, show their support or whatever it may be. But, um, me, I'm just, I'm relaxed. I do have a quick temper, but I try to be even minded when I'm, when I have a quick temper. Um, that's been a lot, lot more difficult with the with the kind of PTSD um, type of thing because I don't know what sometimes I'm mad about or if I'm really mad or not mm. or if I'm just frustrated. Um, but I just try to be even-minded. I try to use things as as learning curves. I try to stay optimistic. Um, and like I said, I try to do everything with a smile on my face even if I fail. I think the most important thing about me is 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 – that I, I'll tell people that I don't know instead of just going about it. I'll mm-hmm. tell you I don't know, and then I might go about it, but at least I told you up front that I don't know. I'm pretty nonchalant about most things, um, but I think all of that helped that night, mm-hmm. me being nonchalant and looking at you know what I looked at and what I had to step over and what I had to step through, you know, yeah to get to where I, I am now and, and that's being alive. So I'm just grateful mm-hmm. and that I'm here. What's your proudest moment as a father? 
Um, my proudest moment as a father. We'll use one recently. I was teaching my daughter not only how to count to six, but, you know, how to do patterns. So maybe six dice or six pillows or six something like that. And she was, she wasn't, she was, she kept skipping it for some reason, <laughs> but she could count one to 20. But if I told her to put it in a pattern and I asked her how many pillows it is, and it was six of them, she wouldn't say it. She wouldn't just count it out. I think she was nervous. We were doing something and she was like, it's six of those, daddy. <laughs> and I looked around and I I don't know. I was just so happy. <laughs> it was she just little it. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of Brooklyn. Yeah. What are you looking at? Uh, this is the, the Vernell Foundation. They gave me the uh, the Hero Award. Mm-hmm. And she just happened to be with me that day. Actually, this was a Sunday. Yeah, this was a Sunday. And she wanted to come with me. So she came with me and she came on stage with me and we took a picture. And I was going to take the picture alone. <laughs> she wanted to walk over there and take the picture with me. So I couldn't tell her no. And she just looked up at me and, and smiled. So that was one of the best pictures that I mean that we take, we, we've taken together. It's one of the most precious. We'll, um, I'll share it on our stories when this comes out because it is truly the way that she is looking at you. I mean, the awe is just, it's the most precious thing. Yeah, she has a lot more poses. If you look, I, I, I took like three or four pictures. I stayed in one picture. I, don't, I only have one or two poses. And it's a smile and then it's like a, a slight not smile. <laughs> She she has all the poses. So if you look through those three or four pictures, she 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 has different poses and everything with it. So oh my um, gosh, that one, yeah, that's that's one of my favorites right there. Mm-hmm. I crack up. I love following your Instagram, and her little personality is so endearing and so sassy and precious. And <laughs> I was cracking up the other day when you were like. Who are you FaceTiming? You right. are four years old. Right. <laughs> like, you're like, you've been in here talking to That's her best you. friend that she was, they was back there just <laughs> cackling, four years old, just laughing it up and not talking about anything. And I, I just thought it was hilarious because we were asking, where's Brooklyn? And she had FaceTimed earlier, so we told her to go to the back. And she was still on FaceTime. So I walked in the back and I saw them. So I, I pulled out my phone and, what are y'all talking about? She said, we talking about something. I said, okay, <laughs> let me get out of here and let y'all have something. y'all girl. Yeah, let me have your, let, let me let y'all have y'all girl time. Four so. years old going on 15. Right. <laughs> okay, and then this photo, I'd love for you to tell us about it. So this photo is, um, what's this, a six month? Yeah. This was a six month um, anniversary of the incident. October 22nd, 2018. And uh, this was my first time going back to the Waffle House. Technically my second time, but really my first time actually knowing that I was going to go to the Waffle House and um, stay there for a little, a good bit of time. I did go back one time to go get my truck, um, as I said before, but it was, you know, in evidence and they, I finally went to go back and get it. But um, this picture here, it kind of happened spur of the moment. I was already out there with my line brother, Adrian, um, and I was going to do this. And then one of the newscasters kind of called me and asked me if, if they could come out and do give give me an interview and what I was going to do. So 
this is what I came up with and the love for it. I took a letter out of each one of the people's last name because, like I said, I always wanted to, you know, pay homage to them um, because they are the most important in this whole situation. So um, out of Torin, Sandlin's last name, I took the L out of it. Out of D'Ebony Grove's last name, I took the O out of it. Out of um, Aquila De Silva's name, I took the V out of it. And out of Joe Perez's name, I took the E out of it. And it it, it says love, and then it's four because it was four people that obviously passed. So um, it's definitely something that I thought was, was very touching. And what made it more touching, I think, was um, the calculations that I put in there of the seconds, the minutes, and the days. Because people really don't understand that um, – that wound that those parents have, you know, they say time heals all. Um, but no matter how much dirt you throw in that wound, it's never going to crescent out and be even again. Um, that hole is forever going to be there for those families. Yeah. And uh, I just want them to know that I'm trying to do not only right by them, but right by their children and let their legacy live on as, as long as I can. Because like I said, the story probably doesn't get as much press as it does if I just take the gun and there's no casualties. So they play a huge, huge, unfortunate part in it, the loss of life. So I just try to do what I, you know, my part and try to do right. Mm. Mm. Thank you. So it's the new year. What is your hope moving forward? Um, So my hope this year is I have to be more business. Let me look at my resolutions. They're right here somewhere. (laughs) Okay. My my look for this year is I want to be a lot more business minded. Mm. Um, that's something that I really didn't have to look forward to before. I mean, I had my own business, but nothing like what's ahead of me and I think what's going on now. Um, so some of my initiatives for this year is to my initiatives for my my foundation and what I want to do. Um, like I told you, I want to you know open some kind of you know clinic in Nashville. Um, something affordable for people so they can go in and, you know, not only take insurance, but maybe um, on selective days, a psychiatrist, you know, an hour session would cost, you know, I don't know, $60, $80. A lot of people just need somebody to listen to them. I actually have a journal, and uh, I found out that that's a, a great way to display some emotions because last year I, I had more than just the Waffle House incident. I lost my grandmother last year, August mm. 9th. Um, and that was my only grandparent that I, well, my grandfather I lost when I was four, but my dad's parents passed before I was born, but my grandmother was really the only grandmother or grandparent I had, so um, losing her was definitely mm-hmm. definitely a big blow. I'm so sorry. Um, and, you know, um, this little thing about the mayor campaign. Um, little thing. Yeah, I'm uh, trying to find a a campaign manager. Got to find funds. This is all stuff that I'm that I'm trying to come up with, and as well as you know, just do stuff for James. Like James is thirty years old now, so my goal this year is to buy my house, be debt free, and like I said, just be more business savvy, and just be more punctual about the stuff that I do. That's 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 pretty much it for this year. Hopefully, you know, we can stay with the initiative, and when the trial or case starts, hopefully, you know. Justice is served and everything goes well. Yeah. Say say more about that little mayoral campaign you were talking about. What makes you want to do that? Well, we haven't had an elected mayor from Nashville 
in some time now. Mayor Brawley's from Nashville, but, you know, he kind of is an interim mayor. And unfortunately, as old as Nashville is, and the government in Nashville, we've never had a African-American or brown mayor before. Right. And I think that is well overdue with it being the year 2018. Yes. And like I said, I don't believe in coincidences anymore. And I just turned 30 in December. And the mayor electoral run is in August. And I just so happen to be 30 years old. For you to tell me that's coincidences, I mean, that's up to you to believe that. I I don't really believe that um, whether I win or lose, and I think I have a very good chance of winning with the demographic of Nashville, how it's set up a very good chance of winning. It'll be just for brown people, not to exclude Caucasians as well, but for a lot of brown people, especially young men, I know for a fact because I have them come up to me all the time, especially um, I had this Hispanic boy um, come up to me while I was in Target, him and his friend, and they were like, are you James Shaw? And uh, I told him, yeah. And he was like, he was like, man, what you did was awesome. He said, he said, I, I, I've never seen, you know, one of us in that kind of light. Hmm. So I don't take that very lightly, you know, yeah. take that to the heart. So I just feel like Nashville could benefit in this time, especially with what's going on right now in our government. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, no, I don't have any any government or politic history at all, but neither does our president. And he's elected president Good right now. Point, James. So um, the experience thing yeah. that people talk about is kind of ridiculous to me. If you want to be honest, you know, America's forefathers didn't have any experience, and we're here now. Hmm. Um, so don't don't just <laughs> try to vote me out on. Oh, he doesn't have any experience. I didn't have experience that night either, but you know, mm. it worked out for me. I feel like if we come together, we can we can work out. So, you know, better culture, better people, better Nashville, you know, is what I tweeted. Well, we, uh, I hope, not to make this a, a political plug, but I'm going to do it anyway because I know a lot of people are listening to this thing, and I, I just hope people get to know you. So mm-hmm. whoever runs this political campaign, um, it's it shouldn't be hard because we're not having to build something that is relatable, that is smart, Mm. that is empathetic, that is kind, uh, that has a vision, that is a natural-born leader, um, it's there. Mm -hmm. It just needs to be communicated to people. That's what I saw. And it doesn't matter. When you were, the time we spent together, we talked about race, we talked about politics, we talked about business, talked about mental health, we talked about hard stuff and light stuff, and that was just in an afternoon. Mm -hmm. And it felt so comfortable. It felt so easy. It activated something inside of me. It's like, what parts of the race conversation do I need to be involved in? I've had these conversations, but not in my own backyard. And I think you, and you just have that natural ability. Mm-hmm. And I don't, it's, it's divinely in you. I'm so proud of who you are, who your heart is. Again, I'm just going to keep saying it's so good. Yeah, It's so good. Yeah. And it really, this is just. It's, it's funny because, you know, people I saw on Twitter. When they said it, um, they said politics will eat them up. And I, you know, I wanted to say back, but I didn't. But I'm just going to say it here. I'm, I'm still the person that took a gun out of somebody's hand. Mm. Yeah. So don't ever forget, you know. Yeah. There's a fire Don't in ever there. think that somebody's going to scare me with 
words or something like that. Don't That's right. forget. Still took a gun out of a, a smoking hot gun out of somebody's hand. Yeah. Mm. So I don't want to come off cocky because I'm not a cocky person, but I'm not not easily frightened. Well, I'm excited about what's ahead. Nyako, Ruthie, I'm just proud to get to sit with you. And mm-hmm. It's been fun getting to know you. We're go- we've got some exciting stuff in the new year. We're gonna you and I are gonna try to collaborate on getting these families some help. You know, out at, yeah. out and on site, and mm-hmm. that's that's something we're committed to. And then I'm I'm all in to help you with with this clinic. I've uh, got some experience in that, so okay. um, we can talk about that too. But I just love where you're headed and what mm-hmm. you're doing. And um, thanks for sharing your story. I, I know we do these things because we feel like there's important conversations that don't often get had and, uh, and, and people need to hear voices like yours. So I think what you're going to do today is inspire a whole, whole lot of people that deserve right. it. And, and not just people who've been in your circumstances who have been victims of mass tragedy in, in some form or another. It's beyond that. You're just an right. inspiration, and everybody yeah. could use a dose of that. I, I've met a lot of people from mass shootings, Parkland, Senegal, Vegas shootings. But unfortunately, I have nobody really to relate to because I'm not a, I'm a survivor, but I have another title as a hero, um, which I'm not too much adamantly accepted. You know, I don't really, um, I didn't do it for that. So people, you know, as inspirational as it is, I would like to have somebody to turn to, but it's really never been done. I mean, you can actually mm-hmm. Google it. It's really never been in a mass shooting scenario. It's really the yeah. not a non-armed civilian with no training has never done that before. So um, I would like to have somebody's template or recipe to go off of, but I try to pull bits and pieces from different people and I also use, you know, the light that that God shines down on me, mm, um, with to to direct me the right way. But I'm always open to different people. At you know, diversity I think is one of the mm-hmm. one of the biggest things that um, is going to help me along this way. Because yeah. um, I don't know a lot. I know math. I know electrical, and then this happened. So now I have, yeah. have to learn about a bunch of different stuff. Speaking of, I need a CPA. Because last year is going to be crazy. So if anybody's out there and y'all know Miles, <laughs> please call I got me. a name for that, too. <laughs> I got you, James. Okay, so I got you. Yeah, I'm probably going to need a CPA for last year because really it's going to be a little, a little wild. <laughs> um, hopefully those can be all gifts and not, <laughs> not taxable. <laughs> well, we... You said something, and I, this last thing we'll add, but I, I loved earlier we were talking in... I think we were saying what's what's coming up, and you were talking about speaking uh, gigs and and uh, things, appearances, and and important dates like Martin Luther King Day, and and you said you know I've got a lot of stuff coming up in Black History Month, and said you said I'm actually a part of Black History. That's it. Right. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Depending on the media and where you look at it, black men really aren't looked at as much more as than an athlete. That's why LeBron James came out with more than an athlete. And that's why I had Come Together Day um, in here in Nashville in August. And, you know, it was mostly African-Americans there. But you saw policemen there. And you saw policemen and you saw firefighters there. And they were playing Duck, Duck, Goose. 
in the center of a basketball court. Mm. It just was to separate the uniform from the person. Yeah. So you can see that this is a person behind yeah. this uniform and that they want to go home too. Mm. And that, you know, nobody wants nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to no matter what they say, nobody wants to die. I've been in that that, that situation where it felt like you're gonna die. Mm. When time stopped, it doesn't it's nothingness. It's the the blackest, deepest hole of nothingness that you can that you can ever imagine. Ah, oh, well, thank you. What a true gift you are, and it is to know you and to share this space with you. We are deeply grateful. So thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Yes, thank you. I think your gift is bringing people together. So let's do that. Let's mm-hmm. do more of that. Uh, I like the way you lead, and I'm a guy who's willing to follow you. So thanks me for being too. part of this. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me out and thank you for letting me tell my story and much more to come. Hopefully we can bring the world a little bit closer together Mm -hmm. instead of trying to tear it apart and build walls to to divide us. Make up fake love, make them all laugh. Come on, someone, take off your mask. It's nice to me. Thank y'all so much for being with us today. We know your time is valuable, so it truly means the world to us that you would spend your time and energy with us. And thank you for being willing and open to walk right into the tension of saying the unsaid. The music from our podcast is from one of my favorite bands, Oliver Riot, and this song is called Alcatraz from their EP, Hallucinate. I cannot speak highly enough about these musicians and friends. Check out their beautiful music on Spotify and online. And a huge thank you to Chad Michael Snavely and the team at CM Studio who edit and mix the show. If you want to learn more about The Unspoken Podcast, please go to theunspokenpodcast.com for show notes and more information about the guest. And feel free to follow us on Instagram as well at The Unspoken Podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe to keep getting more inspiring conversations with incredible people delivered straight to you. And for those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast, please consider supporting the show by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. We can't wait to share with you all of the upcoming conversations with some really special people. And we hope these fill you with the hope that we might all find connection, healing, courage, and the strength to leave no important words unspoken.